We have been working through Frequently Asked Questions. Uh, That's the series that we're in right now. Typically at Grace Road, what we do is we preach right through books of the Bible. We tackled the book of 1 John, and we just preached right through that book. And before then, we went through the book of Job. But uh, once or twice a year, what we'll do is we'll stop and do uh, a topical series. And we've looked at things like uh, we asked Grace Road to submit questions. And people submitted questions such as, you know, what do you do with the, the weird stuff in the Bible like uh, polygamy and slavery and different things that, uh, genocide that you see in the Bible and you just don't know what to do with? Or another question that was asked is, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? And uh, a, qu- a question that was submitted by many was, what do we do with the Holy Spirit? What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? What role do the gifts of the Holy Spirit play in the church? So we've kind of taken all of those questions and combined them into to this morning's uh, sermon, and that is, what is the Holy Spirit? That's what we're going to tackle this morning. And even as I bring that up, I understand that because of uh, some of us, maybe some former church backgrounds, that makes us a little uneasy where we start to think, okay, where's he going to go with this? Is he going to get wildly charismatic and, and be like those, those guys I see on television who blow the Holy Spirit through the TV screen? And, um, or Benny Hinn who walks up to people and he's smacking each one of them in the head saying that they have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's on YouTube, by the way. If you've never YouTubed Benny Hinn, you are missing out on some legitimate entertainment. Um, so that, that's worth doing this afternoon, uh, where, you know, you, we see those types of things and we go, that's not biblical, that's not right, and I hope he's not going there. <clears throat> Others, though, here this morning have seen the Holy Spirit dismissed and minimized and uh, kind of just set off to the side, and, and you hope that we don't go there either, where uh, we just kind of ignore the Holy Spirit, pretend that he doesn't exist, and we just... All the things in the Bible about the Holy Spirit, we say, well, that was just biblical times. We're living in a different day, and that kind of stuff doesn't happen. Uh, Wherever you are on that continuum, uh, what we're asking you this morning to do is kind of come into this sermon with an open heart and an open mind. I understand uh, if you've grown up in church, you, you probably know what you've been taught, and you've always held to that, and you say, you know, this is what I believe about the Holy Spirit. And what we're asking you is this morning, as we look at the Scriptures, that you would be open to what the Spirit would have for you. And, I, and even as I say that, I know some of you are thinking, well, yeah, I would be open if my theology wasn't right. But seeing that I do know the truth about the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to be as open. But... Uh, <clears throat> What we're looking for you to do this morning is as we approach a very difficult subject, I mean, whole denominations have been formed based on their belief of the Holy Spirit. We're looking for you this morning to come at it with a fresh set of eyes, an open heart, and be open to what the Spirit has for us today. Not what we've been taught, not what our emotions say, uh, but laying aside those things and being open to what? the Spirit wants to do. So let's tackle this. What is the Holy Spirit? The moment we ask that question that way, we already start on the wrong foot. Because the Holy Spirit is not a what. He's a person. Oftentimes in the church, the Holy Spirit is kind of viewed as like this impersonal force, 
like the wind or the force in Star Wars. Or uh, some people look at the Holy Spirit as like, you know, this magical uh, fairy dust that you sprinkle and, you know, that's the Holy Spirit. Other people think the Holy Spirit are those like goosebumps that you, you get in church uh, when you get that like feeling. Erica and I were at a grocery store out of town, and she bumped into uh, somebody she had uh, known as a, a Christian counselor growing up, and they were talking, and they were glad that they had met up, and then the lady said, uh, hey, are you going to church still? And Erica goes, yeah, we, uh, we go to Grace Road now. Uh, it's, a, it's a church in the city, and the lady went, whoo, I just got the Holy Ghost bumps. And I was a little taken back because I've never heard of the Holy Ghost bumps, but she goes, those aren't goosebumps, those are Holy Ghost bumps. Uh, okay, maybe. Um, I know that I've gotten those shivers before when I was in church, but it's always because typically it's like three degrees at the German house. It's always freezing in here, and I've just never attributed it to the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is a person. And I know I got 40 minutes to tackle a subject that is very broad, so I'm going to kind of take a high-level view A lot of scriptures that we could look at to prove it, but the Holy Spirit is given personal attributes. He's talked about as having a mind, a will, and emotions. Like in Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. If the Holy Spirit was the wind or an impersonal force, he wouldn't have emotions where you could grieve him and where he could feel sorrow. So the fact that he has emotions like a mind, a will, and, and grief, show that he has personal attributes. Now, he's not a human being, but he is a person. And we know that about the scriptures. Uh, Also, not only is he uh, a person, but he also is fully God. The Holy Spirit has existed as the third member of the Trinity. God is three parts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That has always existed. Now, uh, the Trinity is a whole nother sermon, and uh, you know, one theologian said, if, uh, if you try to explain the Holy Spirit, you'll lose your mind. If you try to deny the Holy Spirit, you'll lose your salvation. So we're just going to kind of like leave it at that, but he is the third member of the Trinity, and we can see that in verses like Matthew chapter 28, where he's talking about living missionally and going out and preaching the gospel, and he says, do that in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he's that third member of the Trinity, fully God. Also, uh, we see in Acts chapter 5, if you're not familiar with the story, uh, Ananias and Sapphira say, hey, we're going to sell some land and we're going to give all of it to the church, if you will. And then what they do is they sell that land and the money comes in and they only give a portion to the church. And Peter kind of calls them out on it and he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? So he's saying, hey, when you told that lie, you told it to the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on in the very next verse to say, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So first verse, he's saying, hey, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Second one, he says, you lied to God. So he's using the Holy Spirit and God interchangeably as equal terms. So we know that not only is he a person, but he also is fully God. So that's who he is. Uh, Not a whole lot of dispute about that. That has kind of been the the belief of the church for the last 2,000 years. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit being controversial, that's not the controversial part. 
Where it becomes controversial is this next part. Not only is who he is, but what does the Holy Spirit do? And this is where there's diversity within the church as far as what is the role of the Holy Spirit. So let's start with the easy ones where there's no dispute. The Holy Spirit is given credit for countless things in the Scripture. Beginning in Genesis chapter 1, you see him taking an active role in creation. And all through the Scriptures, you see the role of the Holy Spirit. When you get to the New Testament, that doesn't change. Just taking, just taking a look at the book of John, in John chapter 3, Jesus gives the Holy Spirit credit for salvation. That the Holy Spirit is the one who lifts the darkness and the spiritual blindness and opens up our eyes for the need of the gospel. John chapter 3, he's talking about you need to be born again and that, that, that rebirth is a spiritual rebirth. So the Holy Spirit is given credit for an active role in salvation. In John chapter 7, uh, Jesus still uh, talking, talks about the Holy Spirit taking an active role in sealing us. Uh, and in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon somebody for a task and then leave that person. And we see this with like statements that David had made about, uh, you know, to God, hey, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Uh, because he knew that it came and went. In the New Testament, though, the cross changed all of that. When Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected, the cross of Jesus Christ changed how the Holy Spirit uh, dealt with the believer. It used to be he came and then left. Now he comes inside and stays. So the moment the Holy Spirit comes inside somebody, he stays. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And, that, and we saw that even in the verse that we just looked at in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 30. Not only does he save and seals, Jesus also talks about how the Holy Spirit is a teacher. He teaches us. He, he illuminates the scriptures. If you've ever opened up the Bible and you're reading and you just do not understand uh, the verses, you don't understand where it's going. I think we've all been there. And then there are times where the, the, the Spirit will uh, speak to us if we ask Him, and, and He illuminates it. And we look at that passage and go, oh, okay, I see. This isn't about me. It's about Jesus. And, and it's, it, it's not how awesome I am. It's the fact that I'm depraved and, and needed a Savior, and Jesus is my rescuer. Jesus is my hero. And the whole story about this book is a story about God, and it's not about me. The Spirit will illuminate the scriptures and open up our eyes to that. Not only does he teach, he leads. And there's countless verses about this. And, and, and sometimes that becomes tricky and we go, well, how, how are we led by the Spirit? Is that our emotions or what does that look like? But when we have difficult decisions, we can be led by the Spirit by simply asking him for wisdom, asking him to direct our steps, looking at the open doors that he gives us, so I don't think at all times, you know, there's going to be a big flash of light when we're looking to be led by the Spirit, and he's going to say, these are the big steps that you need to take over the next 30 years I'm leading you, and, and here's what you need to do. It won't look like that, but certainly I think we can all go back to times in our lives where we looked back at a different, difficult situation or decision, and we see how the Lord just kind of directed our steps as we were going through those things. So he leads, and most probably importantly, not only that, but Jesus talks about that the role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus, to make much of Jesus. And that's John chapter number 16. Jesus says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And these words are so important. He will glorify me. 
That is the role of the Holy Spirit, is not to take on the preeminence for himself, but to glorify Jesus and make much of Jesus and lift up his name. And why this is so important is because, for one, it's a testimony to us to say, hey, that's what I need to be about too. I need to make sure that my life is not about me and getting the preeminence, but making much of Jesus. But that also is important because as we get to some of the more controversial elements of the Holy Spirit, We always have to remember that the Holy Spirit's role and when the Holy Spirit is working, what that looks like is that Jesus is being glorified and being made much of. So if we're in a circumstance where somebody is saying, well, this is of the Spirit, this is is the Holy Spirit working and Jesus is being diminished and it's all about what the Holy Spirit is doing, that's not Holy Spirit work. Now, if we look in our lives and we're seeing that Jesus is being taught, Jesus is being magnified, and the gospel is being preached and believed, we know the Spirit is at work. Sometimes when we think of the Holy Spirit, we think of, you know, Bible times, Acts chapter 2, he comes down, 3,000 people get saved, supernatural things happening everywhere, and we go, hey, that's what the Spirit looks like. It's always big and huge, and if that's not happening, it's not the Spirit's work. The Spirit's work is to glorify Jesus. And as Jesus is lifted up and proclaimed, the Spirit is at work. We have to remember that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to magnify Jesus because the Holy Spirit gets blamed for a lot. And some of the things the Holy Spirit's doing and some of the things he's not. But we just throw that tag out, oh, the Spirit led me to do this. But, and, and, I, and I honestly have heard people say, well, the Spirit led me to leave my spouse. Probably not. If, if it's not truthful, if it's not consistent with Scripture, if Jesus isn't being magnified and proclaimed, let's not just blame the Holy Spirit for everything and let's just uh, leave him out of it. But when Jesus is being magnified and being made much of, we know that the Spirit is at work. That's just going through the book of John. But also the Spirit is given credit for a ton of other things. In Romans, he, he helps us conquer sin uh, in Romans, he gives the believer assurance of salvation. In Romans, he intercedes for us in prayer. My point simply is with such a broad topic, I can't really hit all these things, uh, but these are some of the things that the Spirit wants to do in the role of a Christian. So it's impossible to say, ah, I'm just not about that whole Holy Spirit stuff. Well, you have to ignore all the things the Scripture says then about the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. You, you have to ignore a lot of Scripture if you're not going to say the Spirit has an active role in our lives. Those are some of the more common, understood roles of the Holy Spirit. Now let's get to the difficult ones. Uh, the, the next one is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now this is where the controversy comes in. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is when did the Holy Spirit enter the Christian? Uh, some people believe that the moment you become a Christian and the Spirit opens up your eyes and convicts you of sin and, and brings you to a place of utter faith and dependence on Jesus, that that's the, at that moment of salvation, the Spirit comes inside of you and dwells you, and then you have the Holy Spirit forever. Some people believe that. Other people believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes sometime after salvation, that you can become a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit. And that, uh, 
a, a second blessing, if you will, is the, the gift of the Holy Spirit coming into your life. And the way it looks sometimes in churches is, hey man, I'm really struggling with uh, a sin. And they say, well, have you received the Holy Spirit yet? And you go, well, I, I thought so, I don't know. And they say, well, do you have the gift of tongues? And you say, I no. And they say, well, then you need to ask for the Holy Spirit. And, th- and, th- and, and that's how sometimes that plays out. The issue is, do we get saved and then get the Spirit right away? Or is it kind of, hey, you get it after salvation as a second blessing? So you ask the question, we'll answer it. The, where Grace Road stands, where we see uh, the, the conviction in Scripture is in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. The Apostle Paul writes these words. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. Now, he, I want you to zero in on that word all. He says it twice. We're all baptized into one body. We're all made to drink of one spirit. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, all of you have been baptized with the spirit. Now, if the Holy Spirit is something that the spiritual elite gets, like it's some hey, 2.0, super Christian, uh, the remix, those people, those guys get the Holy Spirit. If that was the case, the Apostle Paul could not write that to the Corinthians. If some people had the Spirit, some people didn't, he could not say all of you have been baptized with the Spirit. And it's important to remember the church that Paul's writing this to. I mean, you're talking about the church at Corinth where people, he had to rebuke them because they were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper, at communion. I mean, people are throwing elbows to get to the wine and chugging it at the Lord's Supper, at communion. You got a guy sleeping with his mother-in-law in the church. And Paul writes to that church and says, hey, you've all been baptized with one spirit. So if that's the bar, getting drunk at the Lord's Supper... If, if you can do that and be a Christian, then we're all baptized as Christians with the Holy Spirit. So it's difficult to look at this passage, and I know there's some problem texts, but it's difficult to look at that passage and say, hey, it's some special second anointing. Uh, it, trying to be faithful to Scripture, it, it really would appear as though every one of us at the moment of salvation, the Spirit of God enters us, and keeps us. So you say, well, why is this important, and why is this your Mother's Day sermon? I didn't make up the questions. You guys did. But um, Because when we're going through a hard time, a struggle, if we believe, oh, you know what the problem is? I just don't have the Holy Spirit. We feel almost like as God has left us up to ourselves. And hey, I I can't navigate through this problem because I'm not equipped. When God has equipped us with all spiritual blessings, he has given us the Holy Spirit. He's equipped us to get through our sinful struggles and our trials and our temptations. We were all baptized with that Spirit. Now, the more difficult one to navigate through, and that is, so that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, what do we do at Grace Road with the gifts of the Holy Spirit? If you're not familiar with the topic, The gifts of the Holy Spirit are in the scriptures. Uh, You see the Holy Spirit supernaturally equipping people within the church with a supernatural ability that could only be explained 
by the Holy Spirit. So supernatural gifts. And where the controversy comes in is there's gifts like healing and tongues and prophecy. And we get this from uh, 1 Corinthians again, chapter number 12. The Apostle Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So spiritual gifts are for the common good. They're not for ourselves. They're for the the edification of uh, the church. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge. He goes on to say, to another, faith by the same Spirit. And then he goes, to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Now this is where we get uncomfortable. Because we start to go, healing? That's a spiritual gift? today? That's not a spiritual gift today. I mean, if that's a spiritual gift today, then why doesn't that person who has the gift of healing go down to that children's hospital and heal everybody? So we start to look at the scriptures and get uneasy and go, well, that can't be right. So uh, our temptation is dismiss it. The next uh, part, he says, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. And he ends with this. All these are empowered by the one and same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So we look at this passage in the Scriptures about these supernatural gifts. What do we do with those? And typically, what happens within the church is uh, two extremes. One is uh, what is called sensationism. And what that is, is, hey, those gifts, those supernatural gifts have ceased. That is that view. They're no longer for the church today. They were for the uh, apostles back in biblical times. But all that is over sensationism. The other viewpoint is uh, hypercharismatic, which is, hey, those, all of those gifts are alive and well in the church today, and we should be seeking them out and performing them in a true, spirit-driven, spirit-alive, filled church, you'll see those types of gifts. So those are kind of the two, the two views. So where does Grace Road fall in that spectrum? Um, and hope I don't lose any friends on this guy, but uh, we fall in the middle. Uh, we don't believe that the gifts have ceased because we cannot find anywhere in the scripture that it would say so. Some people go to like 1 Corinthians 13, the next chapter, where it talks about tongues will cease and healing will cease. And they say, see right there, that's where you can tell that the gifts have ceased. But the problem with that is, well, the very next verse says, and they will cease when we see the perfect one. Speaking of Jesus returning. Now, he hasn't returned yet. So it's, it's hard to look at that verse or even Hebrews 1 and 2, which some people go to and say they've ceased. So we don't believe they've ceased. But we also don't feel that a true spirit-filled church has, these, has to have these manifestations in the church and that if people aren't speaking in tongues, then it's not a spirit-filled church. We don't hold that view either. So we're in the middle, which is a growing group of evangelicals that are, would describe themselves as open but cautious. We don't think, hey, everything goes. We 
are going to look at the scripture and say, well, this is what it should look like. It should be orderly. It shouldn't be disruptive. It should be unifying. It should be built for the body. It should be under the authority of the elders of the church. Uh, There's certainly parameters on it. But what we don't want to be guilty of is this. And I know like some of your backgrounds, this is not going to, this isn't sitting well. And like I said, it's a controversial subject. But you can be on either side and love Jesus. We're not going to divide over this issue. Uh, we think that the Bible teaches that in the Spirit there's unity. So this isn't an issue where, hey, if you don't believe what we believe, then this isn't the church for you. It's not a, a, an issue to divide over. There's people who love Jesus on all sides of the spectrum of this issue. So we, it, we don't go down that road. But what we don't want to do is be guilty of this. And I think many in the church have been guilty of this. And that is, we have the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit in my object lesson, a ceramic bird. We have the Holy Spirit, and I fear that many in the church have done this with the Holy Spirit. We have walked over to a box and said, hey, you stay in there, all right? And don't do anything weird or supernatural or outside of my comfort zone. You just stay there, Holy Spirit. And that has been many churches' theology of the Holy Spirit. Just don't do anything. Just stay in that box. And for some, that's not even good enough. Some just say, listen, whoa, that's way too much room for the Spirit to be operating in. Uh, Let's just do this. You get in this box, and you stay there, and don't get silly or get wild or do anything outside of my comfort zone, and we'll be fine. And what we don't want to do as a church is be there. We feel like the Spirit of God is active in the role of the church today. We want to see him working. We want to see him doing supernatural things. We don't want a church that is explainable outside of the Spirit's working. So we want to see the Spirit doing supernatural things. We're just cautious to make sure that it lines up with biblical truth. So we wouldn't be for anything that doesn't magnify Christ, lift up his name, glorify Jesus, and make much of the gospel. But we, we can't find ourselves saying, hey, they're not for today when there's nowhere in the Scripture that we could say that. And we're not going to say, hey, anything goes, because we don't believe that either. So we feel like the Spirit's alive and well, and if the Spirit wants to heal somebody, He can. We wouldn't say, nope, that was for Bible times. But we also don't say, hey, you can just name and claim your gift. This verse right here says, Who gets the the gifts? The Spirit gives to each one individually as He wills. So it's not, hey, I want tongues, so I'm going to go get tongues. It is under the sovereignty of the Spirit, Him working, He supernaturally gifts people as He wills. That's our position on that. Now, with that said, let's call that the first half of the sermon, even though it's not, but that scares you. And you're like, I got, I, listen, I got breakfast or lunch with my mom. Hurry it up. Um, let's call that the first half of the sermon. And some of you, you don't agree. And I understand that, and that's okay. What I don't want you to do is to dismiss the rest of this sermon based on what you just heard. We dealt with those issues. We kind of told you where we stand as a church. But here's the important thing. What is your response to the Holy Spirit? Can you go back one? Uh, This isn't, don't get hung up on, well, I disagree. I think 
the gifts have ceased, or I disagree, I think you get the Holy Spirit later, and, and get hung up on that and dismiss what your role is and your response is. Because like I said, the Spirit wants to work in our lives. So if we suddenly get divided over this issue, that wouldn't be the work of the Holy Spirit. The response to the Holy Spirit for us is, and I think we can all agree on this, we should be seeking to be filled with the Spirit of God. We know that we are indwelt by the Spirit of God, by Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 30, but to, we want to be filled where we're overflowing with the Spirit of God. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 5, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What he is saying there is, hey, just like when you're under the control of alcohol and you're drunk with alcohol, you yield and submit yourself and, to that, and you've put that in your system, and now you've kind of yielded to the control of the alcohol. In the same way, we need to be so filled with the Spirit of God that we yield to the Spirit. And just like when you get drunk once, you don't stay drunk for the rest of your life. When you get filled with the Spirit, you don't stay filled with the Spirit for the rest of your life. It's something constantly that we're going back to the source, striving to be filled with the Spirit of God. So how do we do that? Like if being filled with the Spirit is our response, how do we get filled? And the answer to that question is in Luke chapter number 11, where Jesus says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give a uh, Instead of a fish, give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. He goes on to say, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So how do we get filled with the Spirit of God? We ask. We ask God, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. We, we ask the Holy Spirit directly for more of his presence. So we ask and we fill ourselves with the truth of the gospel, where we let the truth of the gospel fill our hearts, every corner of our heart, and that we're changed by the gospel. So constantly meditating on the person and the work of Christ and what he has done and asking, that's how we get filled with the Spirit. So let's not just fill out like the theological boxes and say, yep, this is what I believe about the Holy Spirit and kind of, yep, that's, that's my theology of the Holy Spirit, but then not be filled with the Spirit. Because when we're filled with the Spirit of God, the Bible teaches that then and only then will we manifest the fruit of the Spirit. A very common passage uh, about the fruit of the Spirit is Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. So here's my point in the sermon this morning. We talked about some of the theology of the Holy Spirit, and you may agree or you may disagree. But if you disagree, and then on the way home, you say, oh, I can't believe he taught that. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And then you call a friend up and go, you won't believe what at my church this guy, he doesn't know the scriptures. He doesn't know the Bible. And then you slander the, the speaker. You're not filled with the Spirit of God. Like, your theology may or may not be correct, but if it's not determining your behavior, that's a problem. And as I look at uh, the life of the church body as we do community together, this should be manifest 
in all of us. We should be a, a people who love the unlovely. Like even the, the, the least of these, the, the people who can't love us back, not just simply our friends, but we need to be a people who love the unlovely. And how do you do that? With a supernatural, spirit-filled love. We need to be a people with joy and peace and, and patience, like with people who upset us and bother us. Typically what happens is somebody bothers us and we call a friend and we gossip about them. Or we say, you know what, I don't like so-and-so in my community group, my grace group, so I'm going to go find a different grace group to go to. We flee problems so that we don't have to exercise this fruit of the Spirit. Hey, instead of forgiving this person, I'm just not going to talk to him anymore. And instead of loving these people, I'm just going to ignore that they exist. And instead of being kind, I'm just going to keep to myself. That is not the Spirit's work in our lives. And as Christians, we shouldn't be living ordinary Christian lives that are explainable apart from the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. So if, if we can look at our lives and say, yeah, I get angry quickly and I struggle to forgive and uh, I don't want to have anything to do with people, then we're clearly not manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. And, and, and maybe we got our theology all right, but he's not impacting us. But if we can look at our lives and say, you know what, I'm loving my enemies and, and, and when people are, are mean to me, uh, I reward that with kindness because I, I, the overflow of the Spirit of God in my life that, and, and, and the gospel's work in my life, that's what I'm led to do. Then we know that we're filled with the Spirit and, 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 and we see that fruit. That's the Spirit's work. Some, like I said, sometimes we like to see the spectacular, the large. This is a movement of the Holy Spirit because look at everything that's taking place. But when we can forgive and love in a supernatural way, that's the work of the Holy Spirit too. And don't diminish that. When our depraved hearts can love, when our depraved hearts can be joy despite our circumstances, that's the work of the Holy Spirit as well. So what I want, and I believe the Spirit wants, is that we live these lives that are filled with the Spirit of God. And as a result, our lives are doing supernatural things. Francis Chan said, uh, if, if we woke up tomorrow morning and the Holy Spirit left us, many of us would never know the difference. That shouldn't be the case. That shouldn't be true about the body of Christ. It should be that we are so reliant on Him that if He were to leave, it would be a noticeable difference. But we live these lives that look just like anybody else, and we live lives, lives that are very explainable. And when we're there, we need that fresh filling of the Spirit of God. So for the Christian, that's the role. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in the lives of Christians is that he's an active role in your life. He wants to fill you. He wants to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And he doesn't want to be put in a box. And maybe that makes us uncomfortable. But the supernatural is uncomfortable. God is big huge. So we're not going to always be able to explain what he's doing, but we need to look at our lives and our response needs to be constantly seeking that filling of the Spirit so we can love the body of Christ in this world in a supernatural way. 
You say, yeah, that, that might be the role for the Christian, but I, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself a Christian, so the Holy Spirit doesn't have anything to do with me. That's not true. The Holy Spirit has a work that he's trying to do in your life too. If you're not a Christian, Jesus speaking of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, he said, when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. What he's saying there is that the Holy Spirit convicts each of us of sin. That is that we acknowledge that left up to ourselves, we're sinful, we're not earning our way to heaven, we're not perfect, we don't have it all together. And everybody under the sound of my voice would admit that this morning. Uh, we are not perfect. We, we're not earning our righteousness. If our salvation, if getting to heaven is up to us, we have no chance. And it's not like, hey, Christians, they have it all together, but I, I don't know. Christians don't have it together either. We want you to know the culture of Grace Road is we don't think we're the spiritual elite or we're awesome. We think Jesus is awesome. He's the Savior. He's the rescuer. And we're the ones that needed to be rescued. And what the Holy Spirit does is he convicts us of that, where we acknowledge our sin and, and, and our fallenness and the mistakes that we've made and, and how uh, we haven't sought God like we should. And then he also convicts us about the righteousness. And that is God's righteousness. So we see us, we see our sin and our depravity and our fallenness, and then we see the perfect righteousness and holiness of God. And then he goes on to saying of judgment. So we see ourselves and we see the righteousness of God and we realize, hey, I'm going to be judged for falling short and I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to earn my way to heaven. That's the Spirit's work in our lives when if you've ever come to that point or if you're there now, where we realize, hey, I need to be righteous and I don't have any. And that's why the story doesn't stop there. Jesus became our righteousness. God recognized that we were fallen and we fall short of his perfect standard and that we deserve judgment. And he willingly put that judgment and that penalty on Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 says that Jesus became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Our guilt, our shame was placed upon Jesus at the cross and he gave us the gift of his righteousness. So if we get to that place where we recognize I am utterly hopeless without Jesus Christ, I need to turn from my sin and repent, have a sorrow for my sin, and we call upon Jesus and we, we put our faith and our trust in him and him alone and just in, in any words that we want to pray, uh, Lord, I recognize that I'm sinful, deserving of punishment, but I plead the payment of Christ. That's the only thing I can put my trust in. He is all I have. The Bible says that when we do that, the Holy Spirit will, will uh, if he illuminates our eyes to, to get us to that point, that Jesus will accept us, forgive us, and not cast us out. That is the promise for everyone. You've never done too much sinful behavior not to be forgiven. The Holy Spirit will convict us, but he will also turn us to the answer, and that's Jesus. If you would, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? The Holy Spirit is active in the lives of Christians and he's active in the lives also of unbelievers. If that's you this morning, if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian but you recognize your desperate need for Jesus, I would encourage you, I would invite you to call out to him.
There's no perfect prayer to say. There's not the right things to say. But when your heart is convicted by the Spirit of God of your sin and your need of a Savior, you can call out to Jesus and ask for forgiveness, put your faith and your trust and your hope in Him and Him alone. And the Bible says that everyone who does that, He will not turn away one of them. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, I would ask you as you think about the fruit of the Spirit, are those character traits manifest in your life? Are you so filled with the Spirit of God that your actions are ones of joy and peace and love? That you are going out into the community and loving others with those character traits. And if there's not, there's a problem. And that quite possibly be that we put the Holy Spirit in a box. And as a result, we haven't wanted him to work because we don't know what that'll look like. And we're not filled with the Spirit of God. So I would encourage you each this morning to call out to God and ask him to fill you afresh with the Spirit of God that we would manifest those fruits, that we would be led by the Spirit, that we would be living lives that are unexplainable apart from the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you're a great God, a great Savior. We thank you, Lord, that despite our shortcomings, our past, our present, our future sins, that they have all been paid for at the cross. And we pray, Lord, as we've heard tonight or today, Lord, that you would so move in us with the Holy Spirit, that you would fill us, that we would be able to see your presence and your supernatural working in our lives. We pray, God, for great things within our church and in our community. We want to see you reaching the lost. We want to see you changing lives. And we know that these things we're incapable of doing in and of ourselves. So we seek you, the Lord of salvation, to do these works in and through us. Lord, we love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.